0: Let me just like contain my excitement here for a sec.
1: <laughs> oh, all good, all good. No, okay. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm ready, I think. All right. <laughs>
0: official episode of the bone diaries we are your hosts i am jamie and i am rachel and let's get this this audio <laughs> party started yeah yeah
1: yeah let's rock your eardrums the uh <laughs> let's rock your eardrums. <laughs> i had to say something lame <laughs> <laughs> this
0: is a podcast for all things creepy and uh you know try to throw a little bit of comedy in there when we can mm-hmm. i'm i'm currently three ciders deep so i'm thinking the comedy will come naturally
1: yes i mean we're like we i guess we chose to go with like a comedy podcast because we just like can't help our goofiness so like no matter what category we're gonna choose it's just kind of gonna have to lean towards comedy no matter what we pick it always comes back to comedy Mm-hmm. We're just a couple of goofs <laughs> talking about true goofs. crime and uh, I guess ghost stories, UFOs, um, dating, and other Don't forget terrifying. The Sasquatch. Yeah, and Sasquatch. Yes, <laughs> Sasquatch. <laughs> will get to him. He's the key to this podcast. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I guess we should start maybe by um, saying a little bit about ourselves. Rach, you want to tell our mm-hmm. sure. audience of
1: zero my whole <laughs> yes my whole <laughs> spiel of my life from yeah. birth actually yeah that's actually a good place to start from birth um like no joke because <laughs> from that's when birth. we became friends yeah because you right. and anyways um yeah no birth is a good place to start because that's when we became friends um so yeah, that's true so I guess we could start by just talking about how we became friends so our dads work together and they've known each other for a long time I guess since like maybe late 80s or something um and so yeah they're good friends and then yeah Jamie you're like a year and a half older than me I believe and yeah yeah, so um basically when I was born you I think you came just visit me in the hospital probably (laughs) you little one and a half year old sure did I'm sure you did and then from then on we just decided hey we're friends (laughs) So yep. I walked into that started. hospital
0: room. I locked eyes with her barely open eyes. And I went, you're my friend. And I was and like,
1: okay. It was history. Mm-hmm. And then that's uh, the first day of the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. So we've been friends for like 24 years, hey? Yeah. 24 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's why we're friends. <laughs> it just happened. It was meant to be. It was in the cosmos. And yeah, oh, yeah I guess to say a little something about myself, 24 years old. And we're actually both from the Okanagan. And I moved over here when I was like nine um, to Victoria and Vancouver Island. And yeah no I like all things spooky and yeah and I guess like as Jamie of course you know like I love the 80s I love the goth stuff and I like all oh, the spookiness yeah. around that so yeah no that's basically most of my interests and then uh also just like creative stuff as well so I love art and music and la dee da and oh yeah and I zap people with lasers for a living and the other day <laughs> this one girl yelled, oh yeah my <laughs> I feel like badass putting people in pain and they're paying us for it awesome <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no the other day I actually uh, zapped this one girl like I was doing Brazilian on her and oh my she God. yelled fuck really loudly and it was like <laughs> the last zap <laughs> and, and so oh yeah that was the first time I got some to swear like that so that was great um, that was like cymbals crashing at the end of a symphony just <laughs> yes what we were all waiting for. So yeah, pain, no pain, no gain. Um and so that's pretty much everything I guess about me when we get down to it. And how about you, Jamie? Tell us a little something about your beautiful self. I am 25 years old. I was born and raised here in the Okanagan.
0: I have a cat named Spooks and uh I love cheese.
1: Mm. So that's pretty much that's that's great. That's beautiful. I mean like if you don't like cheese shame on you if you Get just out. can't have cheese like for dietary reasons I, I'm so sorry I'm so sorry you have to go through You're life. so much nicer
0: than I am I'm like <laughs> if you don't like cheese turn this fucking podcast off right now
1: <laughs> no. yeah no no all about the lactose in this house we
0: don't have a lack of lactose over here on our end uh,
1: and also we decided for uh you guys to have a little guessing game and who knows you might win a little something if you can guess our zodiac Ooh. signs i you know nice. us. it doesn't count yeah if you know us <laughs> shut up you're not allowed you're not allowed you're excluded from don't this don't spoil it Mm-mm, no But yeah, no, you can guess our signs. I'll be more lenient and say you can guess one of my one main three signs. um, Just because I think that's a bit more fair. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, our (laughs) astrological signs, people. Mm -hmm. I said signs. Signs. Okay, so why did we start this podcast? That's a good question. Well, I remember like, you know, I think it was about a month or so ago. Okay, I've wanted to do a podcast for a very long time. And I couldn't really figure out, you know where to go with it, who I wanted to have on it. I didn't want to host it by myself because I just think that would have been way too hard. So I asked uh, Rachel one day and Rachel, (laughs) how
1: did you respond when I asked you? I'm pretty sure it was just like, fuck yeah. And then I was like, totally into (laughs) it. Like no questions asked because like you were telling like me and then also my sister to like, you guys should start a podcast. And like, I was really down for that. But unfortunately, like I don't think she was really ready for it. And then like, yeah, how come it didn't dawn on us like right away? It's like, hey, we should start a podcast.
0: Yeah, it took us a long ass time to kind of figure that out and be like, wait a minute. Whoa, we both like to talk
1: whoa we both have the same interest oh and creativity (laughs) on top of that yes I mean like I guess you were so naturally oh totally and like I guess you were a drama kid or like theater kid in school right so like I love that. Um, I that's in my blood. But you know what? Like I was like not very secure in high school and stuff, so I didn't join the drama and the theater and stuff, although I like really wanted to. Um, that's but fair. like high school was a time. Yeah, yeah, high school was quite the time. It was more of survival <laughs> than of interest. Survival mode. So. Yeah, I feel that. But hey, we're here now, and we're making our dreams come true. We're doing it. Hmm. It's
0: so exciting. Okay, so how did we get into all things creepy? Uh, oh. Rage, do you wanna? Kind of take that
1: away. Sure. Um, there are many layers to this question, but I'll try to keep it simple. Um, so uh, I've just always been drawn to it. I've always been drawn to the unknown, and the unknown, although it may not seem creepy at times, people still treat it like it's creepy, even when it comes to non-creepy things. For example, death. It's a natural thing but it's an you know it's an unknown of like what's on the other side right so therefore that's creepy but I find that fascinating um so that's one example I guess also too when it comes to like I had to deal with quite a bit of like anxiety too uh, growing up and just feeling prepared I think is something that I felt like I was gaining when listening to all these horrible crimes and stories and stuff so, Um, yeah just like feeling prepared and just feeling like I was aware and just um, I just was afraid of like being too naive for this world because this world of course as we all know was like very fucked up so um, at the same time I think I'm just trying to enjoy it you know enjoy what I can from it without being sounding like real like sadistic about it (laughs) yeah you know I'm not creating the crimes I'm just reviewing them (laughs) 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 we have no official part in these crimes yes yeah we do not partake no um so uh yeah I think that that pretty much sums it up for me what about you Jamie what got you into all the spooky stuff yeah that's great yeah I'm
0: kind of the same way you know like I suffer from anxiety and definitely hearing stories of true crime or you know horrible situations like that I think it does help me uh mentally prepare in a sense like I learn a lot so much from it from different stories and and it's kind of a way to mentally prepare myself as well if anything were to ever happen to me, God forbid not. But mm. um yeah, that's definitely I share that with you. But I remember like I was so young at the time and my mom had a magazine out on the coffee table one day. And I remember walking, you know, in the like walking, playing, frolicking, whatever, in the <laughs> family room. And I looked down and there were two um, I think teenage girls on the cover of it and you know I didn't really understand what the title was about and I asked my mom and it was a story about two girls who had been kidnapped and like brutally raped but they both survived and were able to and that for me was I think the first moment I kind of heard anything like in that sort of realm Mm -hmm. And I was hooked instantly, like, so drawn into, like, this horrible story. And just mm-hmm. the fact that they had survived was so incredible. Um, I mean, it's kind of a weird magazine to have in, like, a family room where, you're, <laughs> where your kids are playing. <laughs> right. But, like, I, hey, I get it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, totally. So, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's kind of the first thing that, like, piqued my interest in this cool. kind of area.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That actually just brought back like one of my first memories as well. I'm surprised it didn't come up before, but, uh, yeah, it happened too when I was younger, maybe not a toddler. I don't know, but like, you know, old enough to kind of like finally grasp what, um, death was. And so I think it must've been when I was around like six or seven. Um, and it was in Kelowna where, uh, there was like this memorial center or something for this girl. And, um, Perhaps we'll even cover the story at one point later. I think that would be a good one. But yeah, no, I, I just noticed it and it just like looked really eerie and sad. And I think I asked my dad or my mom, I'm like, oh, like what happened to her? And they're like, she got killed. Somebody kidnapped her and dumped her body here. And I'm like, oh shit, like people do that? And like, of course, as a child, like if you're, you know, if you're more chemically functioning in the brain, you'd be like, oh, that's messed up. People can do that, (laughs) (laughs) you know. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, I never heard any animals as a kid, so that's a good sign. Um, So, yeah, no. So I was like, oh, that's really messed up. And I think that's kind of where it started too, because like the big question is always why and really why is never really the right question when it comes to these kinds of things like it's so much more complex than that (laughs) you know yeah there's just so much to it
0: and you know most of the time people who do commit these crimes can't ever give like a straight answer
1: oh no yeah it's, it's like it's not logical at all that's like no. the main point really like yeah. there's no logic behind it it's just basically evil and insanity and like whatever other <laughs> crazy factors are involved yeah exactly
0: all right well I guess do you want to start with the story time yeah let's start with the story time let's start with your story <laughs> okay so today I'm going to be reading the story of black widow trial uh the resources that i have for this one great video that i watched off of youtube was from an account called briefcase and it was read by someone called the final wizard so thank you for that um other sources wikipedia murderpedia and evelyn dick.com all have great information so if you want to learn more there's tons of books movies songs those websites they're all great for information so we're gonna start with um, the background today. Evelyn Dick was born on October 13th, 1920. She was born in Beansville, Ontario to Scottish immigrants, Donald and Alexandra McLean. Oh yeah, this is a Canadian story. Woo woo! Mm-hmm. A year after Evelyn was born, her family moved to Hamilton, Ontario, as her father then had the opportunity to work as a conductor on the Hamilton Street Railway. It is said that Evelyn did not have a particularly happy childhood. Her parents fought all the time, and her father was actually an alcoholic, and often while he was drinking, he would sexually abuse Evelyn. This started when she was quite young. Her mom, Alexandra, was seemingly obsessed with constantly trying to increase the family's social standard and Alexandra was also known to have a bad temper and to be very intrusive. As Evelyn was her parents' only child, they were very protective of her. They often didn't like that she would go and play with the other kids in the neighborhood, and they only wanted her to be associated with the children from the town's high society families, even though they didn't really live in a particularly well-to-do area of town. Since Evelyn's father, Donald, was a train conductor, he didn't make a very hefty income. Donald would later attain an office position that would give him access to company revenues. Financially, her parents couldn't afford to send her to the cream of the crop type of schools. So with that being said, it was hard for Evelyn to make friends with the types of children that her mother wanted her to meet, those of high status. However, neighbors became shocked to find that one day Evelyn was suddenly transferred from state school, which is pretty much like public school, to Loretta Academy, which was a very prestigious school. Talk spread throughout the town while neighbors wondered how Evelyn's parents could afford the expensive school fees and tuition. Others would often wonder how the family kept a luxurious lifestyle only on a conductor's salary. Rumors had started to circulate that Donald was actually stealing money from his employer, the Hamilton Street Railway. As Evelyn became older, she became a very attractive young woman and was never short of male attention. Her mother believed that Evelyn's looks were what would eventually help her to one day marry a man from a wealthy family. Evelyn would often be spotted wearing expensive jewels and furs that were considered to be more than proper. So like she would often be dressed in like, you know, super fine clothes, dressed to the nines wherever she went, which was is kind of like, you know, uh, a little bit extreme because if I'm going to go to the grocery store, I'm not going to be wearing an evening gown. But this chick, you know, she loved the finer things, dressed up whenever she could. Evelyn was found frequently attending parties as she became older and found herself in the social circle that her mother had always wanted her to be involved in, yet she was never fully accepted as one of their own in high society. In fact, Evelyn would often spend a lot of her time with men who were much older than her, which like, you know, as a young girl, that's might be a little bit problematic. Mm -hmm. During the year 1941, Evelyn had become pregnant with her first child. In July 1942, she gave birth to her brand new baby girl named Heather. It would be soon discovered that Heather had both intellectual and developmental disabilities. Because Evelyn had given birth out of wedlock, locals had made this news the talk of the town. In order to put a halt to these rumors, Evelyn claimed that she was actually married to a military man who was stationed overseas. Shortly after Heather was born, Evelyn wanted to continue to maintain an active social life, so her mother Alexandra would often look after Heather while Evelyn was out of town. Come 1944, Evelyn had become pregnant for a second time. She gave birth in September to a baby boy who she named Peter. Yet oddly enough, when she returned home from the hospital, Peter was not with her. When friends and neighbors asked her about this, she stated that she had made the difficult decision to give up the baby for adoption. As with her circumstances, it would be difficult for her to raise two children. A while later, Evelyn's parents had finally decided to separate after years of arguing with one another. Evelyn had then decided that she didn't want to continue living in the family home with her father. No shit. He was mm-hmm. like, abusing her.
1: Yeah. No, bye. So,
0: yeah. Later, later days, dad. So along with her daughter, Heather, and her mother, Alexandra, the three of them moved into an apartment together. So in the summer of 1945, Evelyn met a man named John Dick. John was a handsome man who was 15 years older than Evelyn. He had come to Canada with his parents in 1924 from Russia and John had moved to Hamilton in 1943 after finding work as a streetcar driver. Evelyn and John met when she and her daughter went to her father's work to visit him one day. Heather thought John was kind as he often brought her and her mom Evelyn gifts. Evelyn thought that John seemed to be a nice guy and they started to develop a cozier relationship. She mentioned to him that she was a widow and that her husband had been killed in World War II. John was completely infatuated with Evelyn. Only a couple weeks after the two had met, Evelyn had announced to her family that she and John were engaged to be married. She was excited about the marriage, as she believed that he was rich and could offer her and her daughter a very comfortable life. Her parents, however, were not happy with her decision to marry John. They actually declined their invitations to the wedding. Ouch! Burn. Mm. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I can't. I can't hold it in.
1: Yeah, no, better out than in. in in.
0: That's shrek.
1: Better out than in. That's due for a (laughs) rewatch. Yeah. we gotta have a shrek party one time i mean everybody else is doing it on tiktok and whatnot we're gonna have a shrek night yeah we're gonna get shrekt <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's going in the podcast oh my god i'm keeping that yes evelyn and john were married on october 4th 1945 at the church of the ascension it sounds culty i know but that is where they decided to get married so as for the wedding The wedding took place on October 4th, 1945. After Evelyn's marriage to John, they did not live together right away. As Evelyn told John that her apartment wasn't big enough to house another person. This frustrated John as he really wanted to have a normal family life and live with his wife, obviously, and his new daughter. So a month later, the couple purchased a house on Carrick Avenue. And strangely enough, Evelyn's name was the only name found on the deed to the house and attached with the mortgage. She was also the only one who paid the deposit. In the end, John and Evelyn didn't live together for long, as she realized that the man she had married was not as wealthy as she had thought. She didn't believe anymore that he could give her the lifestyle she wanted, so she quickly went back to her old ways of going out and trying to meet men while she was still married. In fact, Evelyn and John were only married for five days before Evelyn committed adultery. Like, she she probably sat there for the first three and was like, okay, I'll wait it out. I'll see if he wins the lottery.
1: And then day five hit and she was like,
0: fuck this. And she got up and she was like, all right. I'm done. Oh, my God. Her relationship with John had started to deteriorate. John had eventually decided to move out of the house and go live with his cousin, Alexander Kammerer. Even though he didn't want to give up on their marriage, he decided to go and speak to Evelyn's father about her behavior. Donald didn't want to be involved as he didn't care for John and thought that Evelyn could do much better. John then threatened to turn Donald into the authorities if he didn't help him get back together with Evelyn, as he suspected that Donald had been stealing money from his employer for years. Donald became enraged at the thought of this and threatened to kill John. John took the threat seriously and reported it to the police, but I couldn't find online if anything actually came out of whether or not the mm-hmm. police got involved. So, that's that's dead end fun. there. Yeah. Yeah. After trying for a long period of time to salvage his marriage with Evelyn, John was not successful and his marriage had failed. Okay, we're going to jump ahead of it. So on Saturday, March 16th, 1946, five children were playing outside at the Niagara Escarpment, what the locals called the mountain in Hamilton, Ontario. So it's this like big kind of mountain that the kids would play on. on. It's like a giant hill, essentially. When they stumbled across what they thought initially was the body of a headless pig, As they moved closer, they realized that what they were looking at was actually the torso of an adult male. The head, arms, and legs were nowhere in sight, but a deep wound in the abdomen told investigators that someone had tried to cut the torso itself into two. Mm. Yikes. Which is so gross because, like, imagine being those five kids, you know, like, just playing on the hill, playing kick the can or whatever. Yeah. And then you're like, what's this? And you stumble over and, like, little Timothy, like pokes it with a stick (laughs) yeah or whatever and is like that looks like my dad's tummy or some (laughs) shit like that you know like
1: so gross oh (laughs) so gnarly start playing with the intestines and whatnot
0: (laughs) (laughs) just swirl it around you know so the police were called to the scene and an investigation ensued soon after the torso had been discovered alexander came forward and reported that he had not seen john since march 6th He explained to the police how John's relationship with Evelyn had failed and that John had moved in with him for the time being and without a word, disappeared. Alexander was then shown the remains of the torso and was able to make a positive identification, confirming that the torso was in fact John's. So, okay, one question I have is like, how on earth did this cousin know what John's torso looked like?
1: Right? Unless he like watched him in the shower and he's like, oh, nice birthmark. (laughs) hey cuz you doing okay in there yeah
0: it it just it kind of that was one question where I'm like okay so he knows like his cousin was missing mm-hmm. but how does he know that this torso belongs to him totally
1: right? like I'm trying to like picture my cousins I'm like uh, like I don't know what they look like nude <laughs> <laughs> at all like if I were to like because of course some of them have tattoos right then I'd be like right. oh yeah them but uh yeah no that's a bit weird <laughs> so, yeah like I'm like la- I don't know I'm I, of course, don't want to jump to you ahead, but I'm like, I wonder if the, the cousin had a little something to do with that. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah that's my dead right. cousin, John. Maybe,
0: perhaps, yeah. Did you know that it was his torso because you killed him? Like, yeah. I don't know. It, it's so weird to me. So weird. On March 19th, 1946, Evelyn yeah. Dick was summoned upon by police for questioning for the disappearance and murder of her husband, John Dick. When police told Evelyn that the torso they found had belonged to her husband, she said abruptly, don't look at me i had nothing to do with it in her statement evelyn said that a well-dressed italian man so a mafia man so to speak came to her house asking for the whereabouts of john she also said that the man who visited her said that john had been seeing the man's wife and that he was going to fix him (laughs) so like rough him up essentially
1: right but like when she says I had nothing to do with it that's always a telltale sign that you're guilty in one way or another well, because like yeah it, and she she didn't show
0: like any sadness like there was nothing indicating that she was upset over the fact that mm-hmm. her husband had died right another
1: huge telltale sign yeah
0: she's just like well don't look at me I didn't do it and it's like <laughs> wait did, did you not hear me your husband is dead she's right like, I don't know like <laughs> Who cares, <laughs> essentially, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. What's new? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> the police didn't have any evidence supporting the statement that she gave and didn't believe what she told them. They soon discovered that Evelyn had borrowed a huge Packard car from a man named Bill Behozak who was one of her friends. And I didn't know what a Packard car was, so I looked it up. And it was a brand of vehicle at the time, but uh, they are no longer being made. When she returned the car to Bill, the seat covers were missing and there were bloodstains on the front seats and a set of bloodstained clothes in the back of the car. Evelyn had left a written note saying that the reason the car was in such an awful state was because her daughter, Heather, had cut herself while traveling as a passenger in the vehicle. Like, what is your kid going to cut themselves on? Makes no sense. Mm -mm. Police investigators, however, proved that the blood was the same blood type as John's was. When confronted with this evidence, Evelyn had changed her story and told police that a mysterious man had called her and told her that John had gotten a woman pregnant and that he was getting what was coming to him rather than having the man show up at her door. According to Evelyn, The man demanded that she meet up with him, so she drove to the meeting point. She said that the man had a large sack with him that he was carrying, and that he told her it contained parts of John. So, like, other body parts of him. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Evelyn's story went on to say that she drove this man to a place that was close to where the torso was initially found, so he could dump the rest of the body parts there. Police considered this to be extremely unlikely. Police then asked her if she was concerned that her husband had been killed. She responded by telling police that she was not happy, but that it was a pretty mean trick to break up a home. The police had taken this statement without Evelyn's lawyer being present.
1: Sorry, a mean trick? (laughs) A mean trick? Oh, somebody's, like, murder is such a, yeah, mean trick.
0: (laughs) It's a pretty rude prank. Like, fuck off. (laughs) I hate this bitch. Oh my god. I don't even know why I picked this story. I just hate her. Well, I picked it because it's interesting, but I fucking oh, yeah. hate her. The police had taken this statement without Evelyn's lawyer being present. When her lawyer, John Sullivan, arrived, he reminded police that the statement was inadmissible in court. The next time she was interviewed, she changed her story again for a third time. This time, she had claimed that her friend, Bill Behozak and some of his associates had taken John to the mountain and killed him. When the detectives told Evelyn that this story was different from the story they had obtained from Bill... She changed her story again for yet a fourth time. This woman, you know, she's probably only been talking to the cops for a short amount of time. She's changed her story four times already. Bish, so, if that's not sus <laughs> enough. Obviously, they're, you know, pointing fingers mm-hmm. already. The police searched Evelyn's old family home that belonged to her father and found a pipe with bullet holes in it, a revolver with cartridges saws and a pair of blood-stained shoes that had belonged to john that were found in the basement in the yard behind her home bits of human bones mixed with cinders from the furnace had also been found investigators also made another very gruesome discovery a beige suitcase in the attic the suitcase that was found appeared to be filled with concrete and within that concrete were the remains of a baby boy the baby boy peter that she had given birth to in 1944 and supposedly put up for adoption. No. So not no. only is this woman's like husband, you know, missing and murdered, but her infant son that she apparently gave up for adoption was in a suitcase in between cement.
1: That's so and gross. Killed oh. that way. How horrible is that like the, like was it like official like autopsy autopsy the autopsy autopsy, autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what the, that's what the italians call an autopsy <laughs> autopsy autopsy so like was that not um okay now i forgot my question okay but like yeah sorry during the autopsy or whatever the the results from that did that say like that that was the cause of death just by suffocation due to yeah. the suffocation concrete? due to the cement essentially oh yeah. oh no that's like yeah oh no it's like being mummified alive in a way but i yeah. mean like mummies like you know take out your brains and stuff through your nostrils but like yeah no excluding that but still smothered <laughs> totally. to death by oh, thick cement yeah god oh yeah I just awful. hope he was napping when that was happening or some shit.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I just, like, can't even imagine. The evidence was stacked against Evelyn at this point, and the more evidence that was gathered, she always changed her story. <laughs> the police decided to charge Evelyn Dick, Bill Bohozak, and Donald McLean with the murder of John Dick. As for the trial, it was decided that Evelyn would be tried separately from Bill and Donald. Her trial began October 7th, 1946. Even though there was no actual evidence that proved that she was guilty of the crime of murdering John Dick, there was substantial evidence to show that she had participated in the criminal action and helped to plan the attempt. The trial had lasted for nine days and only took the jury two hours to decipher a verdict. Mm -hmm. After the trial, Evelyn was found guilty for the murder of her husband, John Dick. She was sentenced to be hanged on January 7th, 1947. The trial of Bill Bohosik and Donald McLean was delayed for a long period of time. Due to the legal disputes, when it eventually took place, Evelyn refused to testify. This greatly damaged the prosecution's case. Bill was found not guilty, but her father, Donald, was found to be an accessory. He was sentenced to five years in prison, which to me, five years is like not a long time.
1: no. Especially if you're, like, fucking cutting a body apart. Like, you can't be right. (laughs) You can't be right in the head if you're going to be doing that. A year for every body part. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Terrible. 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 Evelyn decided to appeal her sentence and got herself a new lawyer, a man by the name of J.J. Robinette. Her second trial opened on February 24th, 1947. This time, her lawyer successfully argued her case and the original verdict was overturned because it was ruled that Evelyn's statement to the police was improperly admitted into evidence and that the trial judge had not properly instructed the jury. She was, however, found guilty of manslaughter for the case of her son, Peter
1: David White. Manslaughter. Okay, that's what really gets me mad. Manslaughter for killing your own child. Okay, like- there have been cases, like, especially um, it was known in Canada for a woman who just, like, go crazy because they're suffering postpartum depression. Their kid won't stop crying. Like, and then right. they don't know what else to do. They snap. They they kill their kid. Regret it, of course, like, right away. And yeah. then, like, they're not really sentenced as guilty. It is manslaughter, I believe. But, like, in this case, she just sounds like a, a nutcase. So, girl like (laughs) manslaughter and then also just because i think of like the the era it was in it's like oh a woman could not be capable of such evil kind of thing you know right
0: yeah no i think because there were two people that were close to her that you know wound up dead Mm -hmm. um i think manslaughter like for her to be charged with that is just a joke
1: oh absolutely
0: yeah she was sentenced to life in kingston penitentiary with that Evelyn's psychiatrist proved that Evelyn had been found to be on the borderline between what was called dull normal and moron-like intelligence which you know we would not use those terms today. <laughs> yeah not nowadays no. no in addition it was reported that she had the mental capacity of a 13 year old girl and she was I believe she was 26 at the time her husband John died so a 13 year old killed him essentially allegedly (laughs) 11 years later evelyn was granted parole after some friends in high places had arranged her release she was released from prison on parole on november 10th 1958 eventually evelyn was granted a pardon under the royal prerogative of mercy which meant that she no longer had to report to police or the parole board and that her file would be sealed forever It is not known as to what happened to Evelyn after she was released from prison. Some say that Evelyn was given a new identity, remained in Canada, got married to a new man, and had another daughter. Although people are not certain about this theory, one thing is for certain, and that is that no one was ever convicted for the brutal
1: murder of John Dick. Well, dang, no justice for John Dick. Not really. No, none. (sighs) Well, yeah, I mean, he,
0: I mean, her father got five years for, you know, being an accessory. Mm-hmm. But that's that's
1: not enough. No, definitely not. No, yeah. no, yeah, five years is nothing. It just like the justice system has still a long ways to go, and really, from like if you use that case um, and put it to like nowadays standards. I almost guarantee that it would almost come out to the same result. I mean, depending maybe on like where you lived, but like, I
0: think it's dependent on where for sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. But like, yeah, if you heard that case too nowadays, yeah, you'd still think like, wow, that's fucked up. But like, that's still like not that uncommon, unfortunately, like with those results.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, she was originally sentenced to life in prison and then she only spent 11 years there and then was like, okay, I'm out. Yeah like how does that work you know mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of friends in high places like what like that to me is I you know I couldn't find a lot of detail on that either but that to me is just like friends with money who tipped off whoever and
1: mm-hmm. they were like
0: okay hey, get her out yeah mine makes the world go around and I'm really curious as to like what happened to her after she got out of prison like did she start a new life was she killed did someone come after her you know or did she just die of like whatever it's hard to tell
1: yeah so. who knows oh so, yeah. but yeah. hey if you're it's out fair. there we know what you did <laughs> damn it evelyn all right so i guess we'll be moving on to the story i have prepared for today um this yeah, is a case yeah that takes place in washington state um okay. the victims though are from um the high school i actually graduated from um, but this takes place in 1987, so we have not crossed paths. No, I was not even born yet. So yeah. <laughs> um, so this case involves Tanya Van Kylenborg and Jake Cook. They are the victims in this case. Um, and so unfortunately... Um... Play the movie, you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite. Play the podcast, y'all. Yeah. Play. <laughs> So this case takes place in 1987 involving two uh, recently graduated students from Oak Bay High School. I have graduated there. um, So I decided to cover the story partially for that reason, but also because there's just a lot of weird stuff that goes down in Victoria, honestly, like, yeah, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, Yeah, I love it here. And you know yeah absolutely beautiful the nature the just the people I find are great as well for the most part um but um yeah no just like weird really weird stuff goes down and like I don't think people talk about it enough and also Victoria is like one of the most haunted places in North America so we're Mm -hmm. definitely going to get into some spooky stuff about that oh heck yeah um so this case is about a young couple from Victoria BC who graduated from Oak Bay High on November 18, 1987, 18-year-old Tanya Van Kylenborg and her 20-year-old boyfriend, Jay Cook, decided to take an overnight trip to Seattle, Washington, and they never returned home. Tanya's parents, Bill and Jean, reported the couple missing on November twentieth, the day after they were expected to return home. On November 24th, Tanya's body was found in a ditch in a wooded area of Parsons Creek Road in Skagit County, 20 kilometers south of Bellingham. 150 kilometers away from Tanya, Jay's body was found under a bridge near Crescent Lake Road, east of Monroe, on November 26th. This case was cold for about 30 years until recently in 2018, where the murderer of these victims is the first ever to be convicted using genealogy research. And that is something I find quite interesting, too, about this case and just how technology is changing and how we're going to catch all these creeps, you know? Definitely. So Tanya and Jay started dating in the summer of 1987. Tanya enjoyed sailing trips with her family and playing tennis with her brother in the court of their backyard. She cared for many pets, her cats, fish, gerbils and her beloved golden retriever. She dreamed of working with animals, perhaps as a veterinarian, and she also considered photography. Tanya was anticipating a trip to Holland in the summer and was looking forward to exploring outside of Vancouver Island. Jay worked on a fishing boat and in a pizza restaurant. He picked up the bass guitar and loved boating with his family as well. He was described as someone with no rough edges, but he had a bizarre habit of losing his clothes. <laughs> so sometimes after school, he'd come home without his jacket and had no idea where it would end up. <laughs> like like what a quirky kids. guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. And one day, the family packed for a ski trip about a four hour drive. And once they got there with you know snow on the ground, Jay only had one shoe. <laughs> oh my gosh, he also had a sweetness about him, taking his younger sister out for dinner and once for high tea. And uh, one of his sisters said, It's really no wonder that Jay ended up with someone like Tanya. Tanya was very sweet and caring, and they looked up to each other. And one day, Jay's father asked Jay to run an overnight errand on November 18th to Seattle to pick up $750 worth of parts from Jensco for his furnace business. Tanya was invited along for the trip. Jay's father lent them the bronze 1977 Ford Club wagon van. It was planned that they take two ferries over, spend the night parked in the parking lot outside the business, and then return home the next day. Unfortunately, the details of exactly what happened that night were never fully confirmed. So their ferry had docked in Port Angeles around 4 p.m., uh, perhaps an hour later on Highway 101, they missed the exit to Hood Canal Bridge. So they stopped in Hood Sport for snacks, and the store clerk was asked um, how close they were to the bridge as they had taken the wrong turn. Okay. She told them to reroute to Seattle. And then later at another shop, a deli clerk spoke with them in lynn, and she claimed that they did not seem distressed and it didn't seem like anyone else was traveling with them. And this is where the couple was last seen alive at 9.30 p.m., The next day, Tanya's ID, a box of 380 caliber ammo and gloves are found under the porch of a bar in Bellingham, Washington. Around the corner sat the abandoned van near a Greyhound station. Days later, police found a ticket for the Bremerton-Seattle Ferry in the van. They found the ferry tickets to Seattle at the Bremerton Ferry dock at 10.16 p.m. The ferry had docked in Seattle around 11.35 p.m., and that's where the couple's path went cold. So, yeah, last seen at 9.30 p.m., And the last they could, like, really track as to where they were was 11.35 p.m., uh, where they docked in Seattle. Right. So on November 20th, Tanya's parents, Bill and Jean, were concerned that they hadn't arrived home yet since this was totally out of the ordinary for their behavior. So they called the police to file a missing persons report. Four days later, on November 24th, Tanya's body was found nude from the waist down in a ditch in a wooded area of Parsons Creek Road in Skagit County, 20 kilometers south of Bellingham. Mm. She had been restrained with zip ties, sexually assaulted, and shot in the back of the head execution style, two inches away from the back of her head with a 380 caliber gun.
0: Man, I fucking hate zip ties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, girl. I just like,
0: I, no, but I just, I hate hearing all these stories about men carrying around zip ties and like,
1: you know yeah and oh and the zip ties with the car handles and stuff too like yeah like with the teeth oh shit yeah yeah awful it's brutal zip ties illegalize them please (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah for real jay's body was found two days later 150 kilometers away from tanya A pheasant hunter's dog uncovered his body under a blue blanket and tall grass under a bridge of Snoqualmie River near Crescent Lake Road east of Monroe. Jay was restrained with zip ties and tissue and a pack of camel lights were shoved down his throat. He'd been beaten with rocks and strangled with twine tied into two dog collars. It is believed that it was possible he didn't die that night, but days later. At all three crime scenes, zip ties were found and the third crime scene being the van. Disposable gloves were also scattered near the bodies in plain view having the police believe that this was an attempt to taunt them. Semen was found on Tanya's body and her pants, which were left in the van, as well as the van's mattress. The money order for the furnace parts was left untouched, but a bag with a camera inside had been taken from the van. So the police suppose that the couple may have offered to give a lift to a stranger they had met on the last ferry. Jay Cook's mother, Lee, believes that her son pulled over to help a stranger on a cold night because that's the kind of person he was. And this stranger just so happened to be a very sick individual. For 30 years, The Cook and Van Kylenberg families have been left without knowing who had done this to Tanya and Jay. Jay's family stated that they believed that the killer had been put in jail possibly for some other similar crime, but that was not the case. Jump forward around 30 years later, the Snohomish County Sheriff's Office released three images of what the killer might have looked like at the age of 25, 45, and 65 based on his DNA. The technology called snapshot DNA phenotyping can determine a person's eye, skin, and hair color, facial features, and ancestry. Detective Sharf contacted Paraben Tech on April 20th ooh, 420, on 2018 Yee-hee. with a request. CC Moore used her skills to track down the perpetrator through genealogy research, internet detective skills, and the DNA on file coincidentally the second cousins of the perp had voluntarily uploaded their dna to a genealogy website one being a oh ged gosh. match yeah whose terms of service state that the information can be provided to law enforcement for sexual assault and murder cases so just with that they were able to find the suspect by navigating the family tree and the perp's dna as well as his relatives while investigating this case it had actually led to another case being that of the golden state killer however this is the first case ever to convict someone in court using genealogy research. We're making progress. The man who matched the DNA is William Earl Talbot II, a 55-year-old trucker working for SeaTac. Police had been following him for days on his routes, waiting for a Bill to drop something that could be used to compare his DNA. Finally, a cup dropped from Talbot's truck. The DNA from the cup matched the samples from the crime scene perfectly. In May 2018, Talbot was arrested for the murder of Tanya van Kylenberg and later charged in June for the murder of Jay Cook. On the day of his arrest, the state allowed two possible sentences for aggravated first-degree murder. Life in prison or death. As Talbot awaited trial, the state Supreme Court effectively abolished the death penalty in October because it was considered unconstitutional. Talbot said he couldn't comprehend the level of violence in this case and that he had gone through his whole life as a very passive person and and he never raised a hand to anyone. What a saint. Several of Talbot's friends could not believe that he was being convicted of these crimes. They wrote letters in July 2018 asking a judge to reduce his bail. This is not the Bill that they knew. In the time that I've known Bill, he has always been a loyal, caring, loving, and an unselfish person, one friend wrote. And another wrote, oh, Okay, sorry, that, yeah. that
0: pisses me off so much <laughs> how these
1: idiot friends of his,
0: you know, were like, This isn't the guy that I know. Too bad. Evidence points to the fact that he is a brutal rapist and killer
1: yeah totally like how long have you known this guy
0: huh (laughs) yeah and just because you know you claim that you're friends with him doesn't mean you know everything about
1: him yeah exactly yeah 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 uh just like defending that like especially when it comes to dna it's not like hearsay or something you know so another person wrote i still do not believe this man could have done this terrible crime or even participated in any way and then another person wrote bill is a very respectful man and he has a heart of gold yeah no bill going down at the time of the murders bill was about 24 years old and still living at his family home roughly 11 kilometers away from where jay's body was found bill argued that he did not rape tanya and that it was consensual and that he did not murder tanya or jay and said that someone else had done it once he left as if yeah please prosecution argued that it would be incredibly unlikely for that scenario to be true. It was the 80s in the middle of an AIDS crisis and she was 18 years old traveling with her boyfriend and she was on her period and Talbot was a complete stranger to them, not to mention how her body was exposed when she was found. A few statements were omitted during the trial uh, since it can be considered irrelevant or hearsay, um, but online doing the research um, it was hard to determine what was admissible and what wasn't. It was was all kind of jumbled um i use mainly like uh newspaper websites <laughs> for this yes. that's that's mainly what covered this okay anyways a former roommate mentioned they remember seeing the bronze van parked outside talbot's home in november that year and one friend claimed that they went fishing near where jay's body was found before the time of the murders Another friend mentioned his interest in cameras, and a camera was stolen from the van, hmm. but the money order was left untouched. I just find that weird. But I don't know, maybe just because he didn't want his name connected to the crime, because, like, If there is a suspicious money order, like, you will call the police, so. However, the statements given by Bill's father and two sisters to police on the day of their arrest shed light on his true character. The youngest sister, Melina, claimed that he had a lot of anger issues and that he once kicked her on the ground with boots on, leading to calling the police. She said that she remembered a pushing incident between her father, who was disabled from a motorcycle accident, and Bill was around 11 at the time. Melena said it seemed like he felt like life owed him something. And life twat. doesn't owe
0: you shit, motherfucker.
1: The mother got the family to attend counseling, but that didn't help. Bill Sr., the father, mentioned when Talbot was 16, he threatened to run him over with a car once he got his license. Oh and, of course, the dad was just like, well, you're on your own getting your license then. i <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not contributing I'm not to my own of, murder. <laughs> I'm not a fan of people running
0: people over, especially when it's my own. Yeah. Uh, no. Mm-mm.
1: Inga, the eldest daughter and two years younger than Talbot, said that when she was around 15, her brother beat her up so bad that he broke her tailbone and she had to go to the hospital. <sighs>
0: oh my god
1: that hurts a lot and also it takes many years to heal the tailbone in case many yeah. all knew that
0: yeah I bruised my tailbone oh playing, like touch rugby when I was in middle school from touch some rugby asshole. alone yeah, some asshole in my class tackled me <laughs> and it was touch rugby like fuck off and I bruised my tailbone and I had to sit on one of those rubber tubes for like two weeks <laughs>
1: you poor thing You couldn't even go to school it was so terrible oh that's awful um yeah I, my brittle. like I got it I had my tailbone apparently chipped um Ooh. yeah that was in grade two I was sitting on like um a metal bar and right below that metal bar was another metal bar and like oh, you God. could shake it as well um so this one kid decided to shake it while I was sitting on there and like I fell backwards but my legs were still like hooked on around my knees right so like when I fell back the lower bar hit my tailbone and um anyways it hurt for about 10 years until it started healing up yeah Um, that's like insane yeah, until like, yeah. Anyways, just be nice to your fellow tailbones out
0: there, you know? Be nice to your fellow tailboners, okay?
1: Yes. <laughs> 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 We're 12. <laughs> we are. Yes. She also mentioned that when she was around 11 years old, she had also been sexually assaulted um, by her brother. His violence also affected the family cat, Nikki, who he dropped down no. the well. No no, 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 no. What did the cat ever do to you, man? Hey, people that abuse animals and like children are the
0: worst kind of people. Absolutely. The absolute worst kind of people in my mind. Because they cannot
1: defend themselves. These people, they're cowards. Death to them all. Um, if, awesome. if I got to rule. Yeah, <laughs> yes. if Rachel had her way. Yes, execution. Um, he had been estranged from the family for about 20 years up until his arrest. So yeah, denying, um, like going to weddings and all that. He just had no interest in keeping in contact. Although his family did try to still keep him involved. They were like, or he was like, nah. He didn't want anything to do with them. No, nah, they saw all of his ugliness, so I guess, yeah, he just didn't want anybody else to know about it, you know, the more involved. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Two years before the murders, in 1985, Bill had been convicted of a misdemeanor assault. He was required to seek anger management counseling, and he skipped court dates in 1986, alongside testimonies from Talbot's former roommates and police interviews with his family that recounted past incidences of violence. Uh, And of course, with a good jury, Talbot was sentenced to life without parole in July 2019. He is serving two life sentences and is currently trying to appeal his conviction still denying his crimes what an asshole yeah seriously and like what was like, his name again oh um bill talbot the second okay i
0: i love that his name is <laughs> the second whatever, whatever yeah. the second right
1: makes it sound fancy but he's a fucking rapist and murderer absolutely i thought that was quite ironic because of course like if you're naming someone after yourself, it uh, definitely has to do with, like, your pride and whatnot. Yeah, well, he well, just how totally tarnished the name.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I hate my dad and that he gave me his name.
1: <laughs> oh! <laughs> well, uh, he definitely, yeah, he definitely made a path for himself, but, uh, hey, oh, like, shit. believe it or not, yeah, like I mentioned before, too, that the uh, death penalty was only, like, abolished what two years ago now not even yeah that's so bizarre to me that it's still out there but I'm not I'm not saying that it's totally outdated um it's complicated I think another time we'll talk about the death penalty because I have quite a few thoughts on that oh same I think it Mm -hmm. you know just to kind of touch base on that I
0: think it definitely depends on the crime and I know it Mm -hmm. shouldn't depend on the crime but for me it does
1: yeah, I agree. And I think also the evidence as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as long as you have the evidence to match up yeah. with the crime, yeah. then <laughs> all right, you're good to go. I think you did this, but I have
0: no evidence. You are sentenced to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not how shit works.
1: No, like, oh, speaking of that, though, like the Green Mile, like you've seen the Green Mile, right? I actually don't think I have. Welcome the Green Mile. Um, It's so sad. It's so sad because, um, well, it's not much of a spoiler, but in that movie, like this big gentle giant is convicted of killing and raping these two like young girls, but he didn't do it. Like he's, he's actually more of like an empath. I don't want to give too much away. Right. And anyways, like all the guards and stuff, they know that he's not guilty. Um, and they had like no choice, um, but to kind of go along with him being convicted for that really oh. sad. It was actually a book written by Stephen King. And oh, okay. yeah, yeah, I was kind of surprised because it was a little bit different from the rest of his books. So yeah. I mean, I hadn't read it. I just watched the movie. But um, anyways, really good movie. Uh, check that out when you do have the time. But yeah, so that's that story. But I, I just oh. wish that we got all the gaps kind of filled in as well, because like, he's still in denial. And we don't know exactly what took place where and like how he managed to like sneak in the van or you know whatever he did to convince right. them or yeah, if he I like think, held them up mm-hmm. i think it's so
0: weird that um sorry what was his name jay cook yeah jay cook mm-hmm. yeah that he was wrapped or, or you know had a blanket over him mm-hmm. oh yeah no. it's like it's just so weird to me like how sorry i can't remember her name oh
1: tanya yeah.
0: tanya yeah how she was out in the open Mm -hmm. and how jay was covered it it that to me is almost like a shame thing totally he was totally shameful of you know murdering this like this kid this boy but he has no shame when it came to tanya totally and like like that that's so strange
1: it is really strange yeah that's actually a good point because honestly I didn't think about that right away what I was thinking about was um like how he killed them like very differently differently like he killed her execution style like you know just done yeah Yeah. and then with with Jay like it sounds like he really struggled towards the end of his death you know like because they don't really know exactly when he did die but he was left yeah. there for quite some time so but yeah no he was like beaten with rocks and strangled and like well, the with...
0: cigarettes down the throat thing is yeah
1: that too so
0: disturbing
1: right yeah and that was something that wasn't just publicly like out there everywhere there was only a yeah. couple of sites that would mention that um yeah to get well, all like and you know,
0: probably for good reason too like for protection of the family because imagine you know reading these articles about your son that had been murdered and mm-hmm. you know hearing obviously they had to hear the details but seeing that and having that be known to the public is so harsh and so heartbreaking
1: yeah 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 oh, it's so terrible like especially after them not knowing for 30 years not having closure for 30 years they thought they'd never get it oh yeah,
0: yeah but um time.
1: yeah I just wow. hope that they have like enough closure kind of now and that they can kind of have like peace with it um yeah but still like yeah the guy is still in denial and like to me that would drive me crazy if somebody I knew died because of him Uh, yeah seriously yeah it's like you're behind bars now yeah yeah gosh
0: well he sounds like a fucking loser anyways so Mm -hmm. yeah
1: no I I don't think he will be ever let out so he better not be since he is trying to appeal the case so he can suck shit (laughs) (laughs) that's right wow that was um that was heavy (laughs) yeah that was heavy like the
0: the older ones like the one that I did I you know it's it's heavy shit but it's so it was so long ago yeah that it it just feels more like a tale than it does an actual Mm
1: -hmm. event that
0: conspired and this it with it being so recent that that just weighs on you right
1: yeah yeah exactly and like takes a whole other toll totally and like that's another thing like in true crime it is very important to like actually like realize okay these were real people this actually did happen and you know we're trying to like humanize everything but when it comes to the perpetrator, I don't feel much sympathy for us to, like, why they committed their crimes. Yeah. yeah how can you? Um, I mean, sure. Like, if a lot of the cases they had a really poor upbringing, you know, or they were, like, abused or something. But then, mm-hmm. that, of course, yeah, that there, does not excuse.
0: No, because there are so many other people in life who, you know, have terrible experiences with being raised and being brought up. And they do not go on to murder other individuals. Mm-hmm
1: they get over their
0: shit they seek therapy they get help you know
1: Mm -hmm. so no it's not an excuse oh sorry oh yeah go on sorry I'm gonna no no no. yeah okay (laughs) um yeah that actually kind of reminded me of something and not to sound uh sexist (laughs) really in any way but like when when a woman has something wrong with her oh I need to get this fixed I need to go to the doctor you know ah (laughs) it's urgent it's my body when it comes to men they're like oh no I'll be fine I don't want to go to the doctor and yeah, especially when so it comes true. to yeah totally but then also like I know there's a lot of stigma too and um just in today's in today's society I think it's getting a bit better now where um you know men can't show emotion they you know can't yeah. admit to their feelings and weaknesses and stuff and of course that's just totally like messed that's up bullshit. That yeah total yeah. bullshit yeah. and Whoever like came up with that was a idiot Oh, totally. And not only that, probably like a sociopath or a psychopath. And that's kind yeah. of what I feel like social media is kind of want, like wants us to be. You know, like remove the emotion, just uh, try to strive and being like the perfect human robot, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Only show so the good parts. Cool. Yeah. 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 I
0: think um, the whole men's mental health component is super important. And luckily, I think people, I think men are starting to open up a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is great because, you know, it can be so hard. Well, like for women, just, just as hard, but mm-hmm. there's definitely that stigma around mental health with men. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, society's trying to kind of push that to the side and, you know, hopefully we can get there one day where men feel comfortable enough to open up to others and, you know, share how they feel and mm-hmm. understand that their mental health is important. oh uh, absolutely Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's very interesting how I don't know society and like the law and everything treats us and it's not always humane and anyways like that's that's a deep dive that's a that's a deep very deep dive this is where I get a little depresso (laughs) (laughs) that's right so yeah we won't go down that sad little swirl today so yeah
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, save it for another
1: day yeah, Save it for <laughs> another gloomy day yes let's take a little walk into the gratitude lounge and take a nice cozy seat yeah no today I think um
0: my my little bit of gratitude well I have lots of gratitude but um you know I <laughs> I had a very unproductive day today <laughs> I woke up <laughs> I showered I had breakfast and then I pretty much just like crawled back into bed with my cat and Aww. we had, like, the best cat nap, literally, <laughs> together. <laughs> and that was just, like, so... The It was the perfect reset that I needed. So I'm very, very grateful for my cat. And, you know, he just... He brings me so much peace and love. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, yeah, that yeah, was great. Aw, that's you? nice.
1: Well, I'm grateful that you have a cat. <laughs> I'm grateful <laughs> about that. That's so yep. nice. Um, But, you know, uh, today was a really nice chill day um yeah I got to go walk to the beach and I'm just so grateful for the ocean like usually when I write down a like a list of what I'm grateful for the ocean will be in there yeah I just can't imagine to like live away from the ocean again uh it just brings me so much peace and I just feel so refreshed after leaving there too and that was really nice but um yeah it's such a game changer hey oh it really is yeah like you said like a reset it was. Um, so yeah, that was really nice. Uh, I really enjoyed the day and it was just like really chill and gloomy. And then like I watched some more true crime stuff when I got back. Yeah. So it was an all around great day. That's
0: awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good uh, gratitude lounge segment. Um, speaking of lounges, we have something called the visitor's lounge. So if you you know want to share any of your uh, creepy stories that you have, whether it be true crime, aliens, Ghost, sasquatch you name it uh email us at the bone diaries podcast at gmail.com and one of your stories might be featured on our show
1: mm-hmm. or if you got any bo- like good bone uh jokes just <laughs> that would be great we always love bone jokes yes, that's right
0: <laughs> which you know hey i don't know if we talked about this but the name of our podcast and how it came to be
1: um yeah. I,
0: I was I was sitting on the toilet one day, and I was thinking about names, and and I was thinking about you know murder and true crime and whatever, and naturally, and uh, yeah, naturally, and graveyards came into my head, and I was like, all right, well, you know, uh, what is associated with a graveyard? And I thought of the word, the like bones or boneyard or whatever, and I was like, oh, that's funny, and and then I realized you know stories a diary whatnot and then I was like oh my god the bone diaries that could even cover that could even <laughs> cover dating <laughs> stories yeah. horrific diaries. dating stories yes
1: oh my God,
0: it just fits perfectly you
1: know I think it I think it really suits us and and our mission here <laughs> Oh, absolutely, it does. It does because, yeah, especially I don't know what kind of demographic we're attracting, but I'm assuming similar folks to like you and me, right? So I'm hoping so. Yeah, yeah, hoping so too. So probably folks in like yeah the 20s, you know, trying to date in today's like landfill. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So my God. Especially with the social media being involved now, it just um (sighs) it's awful. Yeah. Um. Really brings out the coffin flies. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds so mean. But like, once you actually experience it, like you- you'll know that I'm being polite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, big time. No, I think that is the uh, nicest way you can
1: put it. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, I I feel you on that.
0: And we want to give a huge shout out today to our incredible dads who wrote our podcast intro for us, which is pretty exciting. So thanks, Andrew and Gary. You guys yeah. are the best.
1: Thank you, Papa. We love you.
0: Thanks, guys, for listening today. And uh, if you like this episode, fellow boners, <laughs> I'm not going to call you guys that. No, no I'm too bonehead. Boneheads, boneheads. Yeah. We're not calling you boners. That'll be for the haters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And remember, beware in the boneyard. Catch you later.